Cloud and Clear, the podcast by Sada for innovative business leaders and technology enthusiasts, where we explore how Google Cloud is transforming the industry and what that means to you. Now, here's your host, Tony Safoyan. Aaron Brown, welcome to Cloud and Clear. Hey, Tony. Thanks for having me. So, so great to have you decide to other in New York, and now we're doing this. It's, uh, it's great to connect. Um, we're actually making a video over there as well about your, your journey. So I'm, I'm sure that that will cover, you know, part of, part of, uh, everything that's so exciting that you guys are doing, um, in, in your ad tech space in general, but also with, with Google cloud. But I also enjoy these kind of conversations. It feels like, it feels like we can get deeper here. Yeah. It's been a really exciting time, both just as a company and in the industry and just being in New York. So look, I'm talking to you, your chief scientist, and Madhive is ad tech using blockchain. So it's like, it's all the buzzword bingo right now. That's right. That's right. So I think for, for our listeners, I think they want to know everything. A, what does Madhive do? How do you define ad tech? How do you guys use blockchain? Like, let's start there. Because I think that's kind of a good foundation of of, of, uh, of Madhive, and I think it'll create a context for the rest of the conversation. Sure, sure. So AdTech is uh, the, the science and infrastructural aspects of digital advertising. So we help advertising clients with things like machine learning, real-time decisioning, large-scale ad distribution, uh, anything to help increase their reach and make ads more effective. I think uh, as far as the engineering challenges go, the the real interesting things are the speed and the pace that everything works in advertising. So for example, with digital advertising, we don't necessarily know when a viewer is going to turn on the TV, open an app, go to a web page. Right. And this is happening nonstop around the world, 24 hours a day at huge volumes. And these advertising requests come in millions per second and we have to decide among all the available options you know which ad to show where how to optimize how to make sure we're showing the right ad to the right people uh, how to make sure we're not showing too much at one time how to make sure we're staying in budget and we have to do this in real time so as users are turning on devices those ad requests go out so we have sometimes as little as 10 milliseconds to get everything done. So that's, you know, getting events from the server. That's, you know, serializing, deserializing messages, database lookups, uh, real-time inference on machine learning models, everything. At the same time, this also exists in industry that is notoriously low-tech. Um, we work with partners who, you know, like they're... Their idea about big data is putting like a lot of spreadsheets into Dropbox. Um, you know, sh sharing screen captures. Uh, you know, some clients even uh, you know uh, send faxes, run messages across the street. Wow. Uh, there is a lot of people involved. There's a lot of potential for data loss, uh, both uh, by accident and on purpose. Uh, and that's the second thing that Madhive does. Um, because we're in an industry where there is so much volume, there is so much potential for loss of data and loss of fidelity of data, we introduced the notion of cryptography 
end to end. And that's more than just, you know, encrypting messages and keeping them safe. That's creating a sort of means of both the, the custody of data and the fidelity of data. So to put that in an engineering context, uh, you could think of like a lot of companies having like API servers and, you know, essentially like they, they pretty much boil down to something, you know, a request comes in, we're going to do a database lookup, we're going to transform the data and, and give a response. But that other party is just sort of trusting you. And they're yeah. like, like, hey, I just believe what you say. Um, which like, most time actually is, happened. Like, exactly. Like, this happened. Here's my report telling you here's what happened and here's how here's how many times this appeared and here's how much it cost and here's how many people saw it. Believe me. Exactly. So yeah, you get a big advertiser, uh, say you're a very large fast food chain and you just, you know, you, you want to sell your, your, your hamburgers and you're showing an ad and, you know, you come to an ad tech company and, you know, they make sure that it gets shown and, you know, that large fast food company comes back at the end of the campaign and they're like, okay, like, uh, you know, what happened? And they say, oh, we showed your ad on TV, you know, a hundred million times. You know, didn't you see people come in and, and eat hamburgers? Like that was us. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know, pay us and we'll do it again. Uh, but this, is, this is really problematic, you know, because you could see how, you know, things get miscounted, like I said, either by accident or sometimes even on purpose. Um, by adding these elements of cryptography end-to-end, you know, like hashing data, signing data, just keeping track of everything so that it's difficult to do any kind of transformation on data that isn't approved or provable. You can actually create systems where at the end of the day, you can say, this is exactly what happened. And you know, by the rules and laws of mathematics that no other thing happened. Right. Um, and is that, is that where blockchain comes into play? Yeah. Blockchain is really great for this because that kind of characteristic is what blockchain as we know it does for like moving tokens around on the blockchain. You can say, you know, there's no doubt about, uh, say, Bitcoin balances or smart contract execution. Like these things happened. Right. Um, what is really interesting is when you start to unpack that technology because blockchain is really novel. It's just a few uh, very simple cryptographic primitives combined in an elegant way. And it gives this data this property. You know, suddenly ones and zeros act like money, whereas most data doesn't have that property. Um, combining these cryptographic methods in different ways can give rise to new properties. Um, things, for example, more suited to advertising. So, like, for example, one of the questions that comes up frequently is people are familiar with ad tech scale, you know, handling millions and millions of transactions per second. You know, they say, okay, that's a really attractive idea if you can make your data act like a blockchain, but blockchains do like 10 transactions per second. Um, you know, how does that work? And right. It's not massive. Yeah. And the answer is, well, ads, ads are not tokens. Um, you know, ads have different properties. They're used and consumed in different kinds of ways. Um, but there are following the same principles, how blockchains are composed. You can combine cryptographic methods to, to make systems which handle that workload and handle it very eloquently. Um, the actual 
OG blockchains really come into use though. There are even in those more complex cryptographic systems. Uh, there's some sometimes like a bit of a cold star problem. You see like a base truth to get going. And yeah. those are actually a, a great fit for us. And so uh, we're both inspired, extending, and using blockchains internally for that stuff. But but it's not like some public ledger. This is your this is you you deliver you've delivered and, and kind of created this blockchain infrastructure purpose built for Madhive and your customers, right? For Madhive and for the advertising community at large. Uh, advertising is a highly collaborative activity. Uh, one ad often involves sometimes 30 parties. Um, we work very closely with the industry standard bodies. There is, uh, in our industry, there is a body called AdLedger. Uh, that is the blockchain advertising standards group. And they are, they represent uh, pretty much all, all of the ad spend in the world. Uh, it's been a really attractive notion and you can understand why. You know, you have, you know, billions and trillions of dollars going back and forth on, you know, wink, wink, trust me. Right. Uh, so the idea that we can do all of these transactions that we do today and more using these cryptographic methods uh, at large scale to get certainty in our data is really compelling. Um, and so there's an eager audience, uh, but this ties back to your question about the public ledger. Uh, it is used and being experimented with and run in production by some very, very large media companies. Um, but it's for companies that are engaged in the heart of advertising, uh, right. somewhat in its current stage, you know, uh, it's available, but less interesting, uh, for just everyday consumers. We think that in a future state, not too long from now, there will be greater involvement, um, mostly by our devices and, you know, like, uh, our privacy oriented push, but, uh, you know, Today in 2019, it's uh, large media companies. That's really interesting. Um, let's take a step back a little bit. I met Adam. Um, I think I met Tom for, for, for a few minutes as well. But can you talk about the origin story of Manhive a little bit? Like, obviously, there was a problem that was identified when the founders decided to do this. And these are some serious founders, right? Most definitely. Uh, it's a really smart group. So Adam Helfgott is our CEO. Uh, he is a, a serial successful entrepreneur, um, several big exits, uh, the last of which was somewhat more related to media. It was what gave him the exposure to just uh, all of the problems. Um, Tom, he's our CTO. Uh, again, a series of successful startups. Uh, you may have heard of this one called Senga. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they, they they made some games that were very popular. Um, and, you know, working in the cloud at huge scale, building large reliable systems, uh, exactly the kinds of things that advertising needed and needs to be. Um, and our whole team uh, is like it's it's incredible to work here. Like when you come every day, like you're just dealing with like you know like rock stars. Um, yeah, and I felt the energy when I when I walked in, and it's um, it's, it's you know New York startup like you know we're we're in LA and I'm in the Bay Area a lot. I'm in New York a lot, but like people don't realize maybe some people do now. Uh, just that energy that exists in New York, I, I just feel like it, it, it's 
to me, it felt a little different even, you know? It's an exciting problem. And we draw a lot of really talented people to come work on this. Almost no one on our team has prior ad tech experience. Uh, we all come from different kinds of backgrounds, but there are some core problems that exist across every business. And so they weren't unfamiliar. Uh, they were just, they, they, they seem to be exacerbated in ad tech. Uh, and so it was a really sort of fertile, fertile industry for application of just modern technology. Um, yep. And I, I could even tell that, you know, how, how engaged your customers are only because just incidentally, I think the CTO of one of your customers, very, very big company, I won't name names because I don't know if we're allowed to, but he, he just walked into your office and Adam was, you know, we were filming with Adam and Adam's like, okay, I got to go now. And I was like, totally understand. I would do the same thing, <laughs> meet with the customer. But like the fact that they're coming over there and just meeting like, you know, executive to executive and I can only imagine the kind of things they're talking about. It just seems like your customers are super excited. Yeah, uh, we're, we're coming at them with solutions to long-standing problems uh, that were not easy to solve, but they were fun to solve. Uh, and we want to make a really big impact. Uh, and it's those the it's it's sort of like a every small company's dream just to sort of you know rocket to the top and just get literally have those CEOs of very, very, very large companies coming in the door. Um, and so uh, it's it's been super exciting. Uh, but it just boils down to a simple principle that if we can help these companies do business not with guesswork but with real evidence, then we can make them 100 times more powerful. Um, they yeah. waste much time and money just trying to figure out, you know, like just counting ads. Um, and this is sort of counting and getting good data is kind of a prerequisite to everything else. Um, you know, we don't know how much money to send back and forth. You know, we can't run our big data analytics, our ML jobs, unless we have good data coming in the first place. Something that Adam mentioned you guys are doing, I think you and I talked about it a little bit, and if it's secret sauce, feel free to pass. But he, he described to me high level how one thing you're doing around the audit process um, with like these large audit firms, just one process that you guys have introduced just saves like half a million to a million dollars just in audit costs. Easily. And actually, uh, it's not secret sauce. Uh, it's Google Stackdriver. Uh, it's brilliant. It help. Not only does it keep your services online, they're you know, like lots of engineers know, um, but we we face an interesting problem as a, a small company coming up um, because you know every startup you know sort of you know pounds pavement and tries to get the business in, and there's an interesting problem behind it. You know, you get large corporations that are like, okay, we're interested, but hey, you know, you're a startup, you're seven people. We're no longer seven people, but you know, a long, yeah. not long ago, we were just a few people and you know, they're like, we need something, you know, to, you, you're telling us great things. We need something to prove it, you know, and this is very much in our ethos and so, you know, happily. And so what we were able to do with those publicly traded companies, audit divisions is, you know, say, hey, you know, we have all of our customer data siloed everything encrypted separately with Google KMS keys, um, everything using our cryptographic signatures as identifiers, we can actually just set up stack our export rules and 
your data belongs to you. We're happy to share it with you. And we can just export everything in real time as it comes in. Um, your, the audit teams, they already used Google BigQuery. Um, they're like, yeah, that's great because we, the first thing we have to do is usually get all the stuff imported so we can start querying on it and just streams right in. And that worked amazingly well for everybody. And wow. it didn't take more than 15 minutes to set up. Uh, we were off the races. Unbelievable. Just that one thing. A couple of things. Um, well, it was just creative thinking by the engineering team uh, and just, uh, just ease of use. Amazing. Um, okay, going back to, to, to you and your role, um, chief scientist, you didn't start off as a chief scientist. You're you know, kind of head of engineering, I think, when you first came in. It's only been a couple of years there. I can't believe it's only been a couple of years. It seems like you guys have done a lot. It's like so much in two years. Um, uh, Adam told me you guys are profitable already, like all this amazing stuff. But like, what does a chief scientist do? I think our, our audience wants to know, like, what is a chief scientist, Aaron? Um, everything. No. <laughs> uh, so it's I, a startup, so it's everything. I get it. Like, that is true. Uh, chief scientist. Uh, I, I would say it's, it's a blended role. Uh, I am the principal engineer at Mount Hive, and also I oversee a, a research team. Our research team has two primary focus. Uh, one is um, just very advanced machine learning um, for our classic ad tech offering that is just finding audiences who are receptive to the ads, um, just getting a better match. Um, we, we only do right now uh, digital advertising. And so that's all addressable, individual, um, curated advertising. And so, you know, we have a lot of advantages that you, you don't get when you're printing newspapers or running TV ads where everybody sees the same one. Uh, we do also modeling for those. Uh, we help them find the best place to find their audiences based on digital behavior. Mm -hmm. um, and then the other side is this privacy initiative. Uh, which is sort of our, our flagship feature. Uh, we are coming as outsiders uh, and sort of learning the business as we, as we scale up. We were immediately alarmed at sort of the degree of data that flows through all these pipes, uh, very personal information about everybody. Um, from a business side, it makes sense. You know, uh, the applications and websites and TV stations that in order to solicit the highest price for their ads to make the most money to run their business, they need to enrich that with as much information about we consumers as possible. Uh, but just the current model where everything just sort of gets broadcast to everyone um, has tons of problems. Like, you know, uh, but just the, the consumer privacy, you know, invasion, um, the, the bad uses of that, you know, we've seen lots of big public incidents with, you know, data leaks and, you know, elections and just, you know, other kinds of nefarious incidents. Um, mm -hmm. We also have problems with businesses working together. Um, they have privacy needs too. So, for example, these publishers, uh, say you're the New York Times, for example, right? Um, the New York Times may pride themselves on their readership. They say, you know, we have a they, they, they might be uh, more apt to buy certain kinds of products. Um, but 
if I don't want to pay that premium for all the hard work the New York Times has done to collect that information together, I just need to sort of sit back and, and wait and watch that audience and then collect them and then maybe buy those same users on a different outlet that doesn't cost as much. You know, maybe I can buy them when they're playing a game on their phone. Uh, and that's a, that's a big loss of that, that, that valuable brand and work that those publishers have built up. And then finally, of course, in advertising, you're only as good as the data you have. And, you know, from, if you think about like sort of in a theoretical world, um, if a company like Madhive could, when we're doing our ad decisioning, if we could just have access to like every piece of data about you and, you know, cross our fingers, promise not to do nefarious things, yep. we could make a really fun advertising experience, you know, like Absolutely. ads would be really cool if we just were able to apply all the data. Um, but that, that's only theoretical. That can't happen. You know, Facebook is not going to say, Oh, here you go, Matt. Hive. Here's all the data that we have. You know, <laughs> um, and so using these same methods that we have applied for audit and fidelity of data, uh, we can do really, really cool things where we can share data sets. Um, we can machine learn across data sets. Um, we can validate third parties data sets so we can revoke data sets um, all without compromising the privacy of the user, the companies involved. Um, and this is again, a second really compelling feature for our clients because they, they see these problems looming. Um, they already don't like, you know, the, the dirty side of the advertising business where we we're all holding everyone's private data. Um, also, it gives a chance for people to be more proactive in their data. You know, for the first time, you can really own your data, which has been touted before, but it needs to be actionable. Like, it needs to be able to be used for your benefit. Like, for example, to like curate and personalize your online content, but in a way that you control and can't be abused. And with these these simple cryptographic techniques, you can put wrappers around the data such that it can only be used for pre-authorized purposes, you know, no matter how bad that you want to. Uh, if you have some kind of nefarious intention, uh, you would need to know something about mathematics, which is much more valuable than, you know, uh, some user's data. Uh, so we think there's a future with um, what we call the MAD network. Mm -hmm. the the future, well, near future cryptographic ad protocol where all data is private end to end. And if you think about, you know, companies being able to action, even machine learn on data that is totally private and distributed, um, you have a lot of opportunities where data then need not even leave the user's device. Uh, there's no reason why in the very near future we can't have, you know, our televisions, you know, participating in the ad selection process and making sure that, you know, for example, if we're, if we're really interested in a new car, you know, we only see the car ads that we might be interested in, you know, tell us a story about interest. That's, that's so interesting. I mean, Aaron, it's like, you know, TVs and other screens are, you know, ever more, you know, connected and even the way that, TV is signals are transmitted is sort of digital at this stage. And still to this day, 
I, I'm flabbergasted by how much um, how much I see ads that are completely either irrelevant, like with regards to my interests. But how about that? Like I see things that I cannot even go procure because they're advertising a restaurant that doesn't exist in my state or within 50 miles of me. Yeah. Um, like, why am I seeing a Sonic ad? There's not a Sonic anywhere near me. <laughs> right. That's true. Uh, what happens? Uh, and there, there are two primary causes for that. Uh, one are the business incentives. Uh, we had talked about before about there's, you know, like a lot of opacity uh, in you know classic ad tech, and there are parties in the middle who just get paid by volume. Yeah, and they'll tell you anything that you want to hear, and so you have advertisers at one end, publishers at the other end, and they want to act honestly and productively, but they're 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 sort of getting you know always always yes on both sides and yeah. Uh, it's 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 really funny because there are a lot of people that we encounter in advertising who just sort of have accepted that as like base truth. It's just cost of doing business. That oh, because they feel like it's like unsolvable, right? Yeah, um, and so you just sort of bake into your prices, and it makes advertising really really inefficient. Right. The it's like, uh, it's like there's going to be forty percent waste. I'm just going to assume that forty percent. I'm just going to burn. I'm burning forty percent of this budget, kind of thing. It's crazy. Yeah, and if you think about the scale of advertising, I mean, advertising yeah. pays, pay, advertising pays for the whole internet. The internet is free because of advertising. So the size of the economy is the size of the whole internet, and more than half of it is waste. That's we're, we're talking about a trillion dollars. Wow. Wow. Uh, so you know, when you put big numbers out there and you say, "Hey, you know, um, let's just." not do this and let's not do this with a couple of simple hash algorithms. Um, people listen. Absolutely. No, I, I mean, I, I get why you guys went after some of the you know big customers first to kind of prove that because they have the biggest problems with regards to scale. You know, if somebody has a $500 million budget, it means 250 million is being wasted and they, they know it. Yes. And if you guys are, are approaching them with, with uh, with a solution, I think that's I mean, incredible. Look, I subscribe like in all aspects of business. Uh, what your potential is is some ratio of the value you're going to bring to the market. And if you uh, and if you've identified a trillion dollars of waste, to me to me that kind of tells me Manhattan can get really big because anybody would be willing to pay you ten dollars to save a hundred, like any day of the week, right? Uh, and that's what it's been. I mean, the demand has been incredible. Uh, you know, we're, we're 10 times the size we were, you know, a year ago. And uh, yeah, we're hiring anybody at com. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, we're, and we by this time next year, I hope we're 10 times bigger still. Yeah, no. Um, I mean, there's a lot of excitement in the office for sure. Um, I think you guys had just come, come from... Um, some of your team members went to uh, what event was it? That is uh, Can. Uh, oh yeah, Can. Of course, how could I forget? Yeah. And I, I read an article incidentally. I think the same week about how, how much business actually gets done at Can, like this kind of um, seeding of, of, of relationships. And I'm sure I'm sure they got a lot done. I, they told me there was just tons of interest, even from, you know, 
upper mid-market customers and others uh, as you guys scale. I'm sure you won't only be, you know, talking to the Fortune 50, but um, it's super, super interesting. Um, you know, the part of it... Oh, it's, it's very flattering uh, just to, you know, because we... We have ideas. We're very honest in our intentions to make good solutions, uh, and so it just—it's really exciting to see the market, you know, validate that stuff and to have big companies that are, you know, chasing down our people. Uh, it's just sort of amazing uh, when you think about, you know, what we were doing two years ago. Yeah, like the guy that just walked into your office, just literally chasing down Adam. <laughs> like wow. This- this happens like you can you can have staged this you know it's like this is real this is their life um and and look the other thing is i think philosophical and cultural like you guys are like look we subscribe to the truth we found a way to deliver the truth in an industry that's highly inefficient and the whole promise of just you know just mobile and data and connect being connected and the internet is like any industry that's inefficient will eventually be like just dramatically disrupted because it will. That's just capitalism. That's just efficient markets. It's just going to happen. And you guys are playing a proactive role in maybe one of the most inefficient markets in the world that people don't even realize how inefficient it is. Super exciting space. Uh, and the timing is, is just phenomenal because all these technologies are now coming together to allow you to deliver those services and capabilities to this market. Maybe that was not possible five years ago. Yeah. I mean, things like cloud, of course, cryptography, um, you know, cryptography and cloud were sort of the, the unsung heroes here because all of this new capability is powered by just a vast amount of data. And those two technologies work together really, really well. Cloud just to, to scale infinitely, um, like, uh, our, our favorite tools in, in Google cloud, like Bigtable, BigQuery, uh, TensorFlow on TPUs, um, any Kubernetes, like a- anything, like that, any job, any size that we have, we could just throw at some service and just come up with an answer and just not worry about, you know, the, the engineering details of it. Uh, and then, you know, the emergence of blockchain as, you know, like a, a serious application of cryptography in business has been you know, immensely useful because having data at a huge scale, you know, you're sort of like, you can't always keep track of it. You know, you ask any data science, you know, scientists, they're going to you know, tell you like, you know, to get giant data sets, but there's always like problems, you know, things don't match up, you know, uh, you're always sort of stuck working on all this. And that's a, that's a real impediment just to getting work done. And if that data is money, then that's a, that's a direct inefficiency. By using cryptography, you can tag and organize every little bit in such that no matter what the scale, you know, petabytes, exabytes, you're not going to lose one bit. Um, and that those two things together, be able to sort of, you know, marshal and master all the world's data, um, is just an incredibly powerful combination. So you guys can build on anything you want. And, you know, I always like to have a perspective on, on, on Google Cloud. This is cloud and clear. And it's also, you know, very much about highlighting um, GCP and Google Cloud in general. So you guys can build on anything you want. You've chosen over time. And I'm not sure if it was the selection you made day one. I don't know. I don't think it was. But 
to kind of emphasize and invest more uh, in GCP particularly. And I think the listeners want to know why. Yeah, no doubt. Um, so as I mentioned before, uh, Matt Hive has the, the good fortune of having attracted this amazing talent pool from around the world, from all kinds of backgrounds. Um, as you know, lifelong engineers, we've all used all of the clouds. Um, and there was uh, sort of at the beginning, just almost complete unanimous consensus that, you know, if, if you got to choose for your own project, you know, where would you be? And it, it was Google Cloud. Uh, the things that were really compelling for us as developers is like the tooling just made stuff really easy. Um, I think the primary difference between Google and some of the other clouds are just the cohesiveness of the products. Uh, it, it sounds a little silly, but it, it makes a big difference when you're working on things because real applications span multiple services. You know, you, you use them together. Right. And when the glue and when they feel very siloed, you know, you end up doing a lot of the glue work yourself. Uh, and that's just like a pain. It's hard to scale. Um, and it's just like, it's sort of also as an engineer when you're under a deadline. You, know, you don't really factor that kind of stuff in. Like you think about, okay, I got to scale this data up and I got to scale this compute up and they got to work together. And what you, what you don't count is, oh, well, this, the thing that moves this stuff together, you know, I, I'm going to actually write 80, 80% of my code right there. Um, we just don't have to do that. Um, so it, it feels fun uh, to program there. You know what it sounds like to me? The feeling that I get is almost like using these tools makes it clear that. Google's actually built the stuff for themselves and they're just letting me use it too. Yeah. And it shows, uh, <laughs> thanks to Google who happens to be an advertising company. Uh, the tools are amazing for advertising. Uh, yeah, like the, the first and foremost, uh, I think the, the ML tools are unique to Google. Um, we have like our non-technical, you know, uh, client services people, um, and actually, I should say non-technical with qualification. You know, they're from MIT and Carnegie yeah. and, and stuff like that. But for from from the engineering team side, the non-technical client services team, they'll do ML modeling in you know Auto ML, the, the tables product, right in front of clients, uh, and that kind of blows them away because they're just watching this happen. You know, right before their eyes, like, hey, give give me your data set. Let's let's run an example, and you know build up a, a, a model and, you know, after a nice little lunch break, 45 minutes later, come back and they can push that right into our system. Uh, and the customers, they can be on site and they can see results, you know, to their website immediately. Um, never, never, ever possible before in the history of time. Literally never before. And it's, it's just amazingly efficient. It's very impressive tool set. You know, internally, we can take those things, push them into Jupyter notebooks, work on them, push them into, you know, the, the scaling auto, auto ML clusters, push them into our own um, Kubernetes clusters for training, and be able to update and remake those models continuously based on huge inflows of real-time data. Like, if, if, if we're helping customers who are interested in, you know, buying a car, uh, and you know, you're, you're, we're seeing indications across the internet that they're, they're doing interesting car related things, you know, 
not only are we carving down, you know, we're limited to add to the kinds of cars they want, but we have signals that as soon as they bought that car, the ads stop. Um, it's not good for our clients because they're probably not to buy a second car right away. Uh, it's not good for the consumers because they probably had their fill of car ads by this point. Um, the other things are just, just the boring parts of work, you know, like, um, Google big table, uh, is just an incredible database product. It, it, it scales to whatever we need. Um, you know, we'd never have to like re-optimize queries. Uh, you just, you get bigger, you get twice as big, add twice as many notes. Uh, it's just, you know, there's, there, there, there are a lot of cloud products that have their equivalents in other clouds. Uh, Google has these products, which are very useful, which I, in my opinion, don't have an equivalent. Yeah, no, I mean, that's the incredible thing. Um, again, I think it does make a difference when your cloud provider has actually not only created this technology for their own use, but have kind of written the industry standards around things like um, Kubernetes and TensorFlow and, you know, all, all these things are sort of born out of necessity at Google before they were necessary anywhere else. Cause they were the first ones to have to scale services to the degree and globally, the way that they did with google.com and, and now, you know, maps and YouTube. And I mean, you name it, right. That's so many services now, Gmail, um, that, you know, billion plus monthly users, nobody has more services than Google does serving more people, um, more distinct services. And it's, and it's just an incredible thing that they've decided to do, which is essentially carve out productize, skewify, and then allow, you know, allow uh, organizations like Madhive to leverage those same um, unique capabilities to transform to completely different businesses um, or build completely different businesses. And I think that is precisely what makes Google Cloud unique. And from our standpoint, our vantage point has just been really great to watch um, and support um, that journey. And I, I know that you guys are just getting started as a business uh, because the upside is just massive. If you've identified what you're describing, it's like, again, I can only imagine how big you can get, but I know that what you won't have to worry about is like, how are you going to scale the infrastructure to support it, to support the growth? <laughs> That will not be one of your worries. Yeah, we have enough uh, of growing problems in the engineering team. I, I couldn't even imagine doing all that. Uh, that's why, yeah, I mean, being on Google Cloud, we were able to be a big advertising company on the first day. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Well, um, I, you know, I think this is really uh, fantastic. I've, I've learned a lot myself, and I think our listeners uh, have as well. I think not only about uh, the, the incredible components um, of blockchain and cryptography and pieces of Google Cloud that you guys are using, but really, I think we've all learned a lot about the advertising space, Aaron. So it's been it's been really great, and I hope to do this again with you in, in a few months, where when there's um, kind of more more evolution of the, of the of the platform. And appreciate having you guys as a client, and uh, and uh, we're cheering for you. Thanks. You break the ground. I mean, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Thank you so much, Tony. Thank you. Aaron. 
Thank you for listening to Cloud and Clear. Check the show notes for links to this week's topics. And don't forget to connect with us on Twitter at Cloud and Clear and our website, sada.com. Be sure to rate and review the show on your favorite podcast app. 